Coming up on Let's Clear the Air. Move the ball forward, have some constructive dialogue, and to understand that what we're trying to do is in the best interest of everyone. What we do impacts everybody. Welcome to the Let's Clear the Air Energy Podcast. Conversations focused on how some of the world's top energy leaders are innovating to deliver clean, affordable, and reliable energy for the future. Your hosts are energy and climate expert, Dr. Andrew Parker, and midstream industry veteran, Adam Murray. Now, here are Andrew and Adam. Welcome to the Let's Clear the Air podcast. Alongside Adam Murray, I'm Andrew Parker. And on today's episode, we're gonna be talking a little bit more about what exactly the Let's Clear the Air campaign is all about. Today, our guest is Joel Moxley, the CEO of GPA Midstream Association, which represents dozens of companies that play a vital role in moving energy products from production areas to markets across the country. GPA Midstream launched Let's Clear the Air just over a year ago. With the goal of the campaign uh, is for the midstream industry to have an open dialogue on the evolving future of energy and create solutions that build a thriving future for everyone. Joel, it's great to have you. Welcome to Let's Clear the Air. Thank you. Good to talk to you guys today. So, Joel, I need you to help me out with a a debate, and uh, I'm going to ask you, Denver, just the Nuggets just won the NBA title, and I know in Houston, the Astros uh they won the mlb championship last fall and i was having this debate with someone and 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 my question to you is let's clear the air if the texans were good would houston be more of a football town or would it be more of a baseball town who does houston prefer well i listen to sports radio quite a bit as i drive around town and i can tell you that uh During baseball season, there's a lot of talk about baseball, but during baseball season, there's even more talk about football. So if the Texans were good, which they have been in the past, but haven't been for the last several years, uh, Houston would be a football town. And me personally, I've had um, Texan season tickets since season one, year one. So I do that. And yet I also go to Astros games. We're going to Astros game on uh, a Saturday. So I'd say, but to answer your question, uh, Texas is still a football state and Houston is definitely a football town. That's, that's fair enough. I, I mean, yeah, Houston is in Texas after all, right? And, uh, you know, I remember when I was in College Station uh, during grad school, how bad the Astros were when I was living in Southeast Texas. And so I guess I can appreciate how good the Astros are. And it's great to see the city rally around them. But um, to your point, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But someone someone was having that debate trying to say that Houston will always be, you know, Astros first. And I vehemently de- disagree with that perspective. So anyway. It's Texas. It's a football state. It's yeah, the way it works. It absolutely is. Well, you know, uh, Adam, you want to lead off, man? Yeah. Well, with that, you know, let's clear the air question. Uh, thanks for doing that. Uh, let's dive right into the let's clear the air campaign. Um, but first, for our listeners who aren't familiar, can you start, you know, with an overview of, you know, your role and then the midstream industry that and the role that it plays in delivering energy? Yeah, well, GPA Midstream, um, as the, the name suggests, is midstream is in the in the middle of 
between the upstream sector where uh, wells are drilled, production is, is produced, oil and gas is produced, and the downstream sector that turns crude oil and natural gas liquids into products like gasoline and plastics and things that are used by consumers. So midstream is really that infrastructure of pipelines and storage and trucks and all those uh, facilities that connect supplies with markets here in the U.S. and, and really, uh, in some cases, around the world. So GPA Midstream Association uh, was uh, started in 1921 uh, to really uh, be an advocate for that industry. It wasn't called Midstream back then, but uh, it's certainly been a lot of those same functions. Mm -hmm. uh, my role, I've been at GPA Midstream for uh, since uh, July of 2019, but I came to this job uh, out of the midstream industry. So I'm, uh, I, let's say kindly, I've been around for over 40 years uh, in this industry, uh, even back before we called it midstream. And I do want to make a plug, just a quick plug for, I'm not only uh, responsible for GPA Midstream Association, but GPSA Association as well, which is our sister supplier organization. So there are over 285 member companies at GPSA. And so they provide support services, engineering, and all kinds of services that uh, support the, the U.S. midstream industry. Perfect. Well, I know Let's Clear the Air is GPA Midstream's first run at public education and, and leading up into this podcast and digital advocacy campaign, but tell us what you were thinking and what you're trying to accomplish with this here for the audience. I think Andrew and I know, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I hope so. You guys are a big part of it. Um, you know, I think our let's clear the air campaign is just an effort to tell, you know, the midstream industry story. Um, we want people to, um, to better understand what, what role midstream plays in, in making the U.S. economy go. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast today without midstream companies moving the energy around to power our country. Um, now, we also want to acknowledge that it's important to address climate issues. It's, it's also real important to do that. We, we don't want to hide from that. But... Um, Energy and climate are so intertwined today in today's political narratives. Uh, uh, so we're, we're, we're trying to just do our part. Um, the let's, that's really the let's clear the name. That's where it came from. It's our goal to talk about climate, to make our air cleaner, our water cleaner, our, our environment cleaner, and to talk about misconceptions about the current sources of energy. Um, many of which travel through us through midstream facilities. So we'd like to be a place for, for interested people to ask questions and provide well thought out answers, you know, fact-based answers, not try to take the emotion out of it because it's a very emotional subject for many people. Energy and climate are, are hugely complex subjects that don't readily fit into the 15 second sound bites uh, that we see in a lot of the discussions. So it's a big challenge to come up with the answers that don't rely on a bunch of 
technical jargon to try to put it in a in a way that people can understand and again make make it based as much on facts as we possibly can but mm-hmm. that's our goal or at least some of our goals with let's clear the air so Joel you and your team have put in a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of thought to develop this let's clear the air campaign and a lot of the material I think is made with the non-industry expert in mind. So maybe take a minute and just, you know, who who are you trying to reach with this campaign and why should they care? Well, I think we initially, Andrew, we started with um, a focus to in the first year was more giving our the people that work in the midstream industry a few talking points, something that they could in talk to their their neighbors, their families, their, you know, people that they just run into at the at the kids' baseball games or whatever, just to feel good about what we do. Because particularly if you look back 18 months ago, there was so much negative narrative about uh, the energy industry that we work in. So that was part of it for sure is to give people and and try to make it. I mean, the problem we all have in this industry and and almost every industry, we all talk in a code. It all makes sense to us because we live in it every day. But we really want to try to make this understandable so that you could just talk to your neighbor in some kind and have just, you know, it's almost like the the 15 second elevator pitch that you always hear people talk about something you can talk about in short, uh, understandable, you know, uh, relatable uh, ideas. And then as we moved into year two, we've kind of branched out again, like the podcast that we're doing here today, trying to reach other folks. And we're trying to get, you know, a segment of people that are interested in learning more. You know, we, we know we can't reach everybody and everything. We're not trying to be a, a, a retail, you know, run Super Bowl ads and that kind of stuff. But we're trying to reach people that are intellectually curious about what's going on in this debate around fossil fuels and, and new energy sources and climate and all these things that seem to be dominating our, our discussions now. Can we just start continuing to be a source of, you know, just let's let's have a discussion about it and understand the complexities of what um, what this change of energy. And, and I, I really you know we hear a lot of discussions about energy transition. I'm, I'm starting to pull back a little bit from that because that sounds like it's really short and it's not. And so it's really. It's almost energy addition, and some of our members are starting to use that terminology in mm-hmm. some of their public discussions, because you can go back and look at history. Uh, I've got a chart that I did for a presentation, goes back and look at worldwide energy sources over the last um, 100, well, since 1800, so uh, over 200 years. And really, the history is we build, we don't, we add as population grows, as different technologies uh, allow us to tap different energy sources. Uh, we very rarely throw anything away because it worked. It worked for a long time. And so not only does the source work, the infrastructure is in place to do that as well. So anyway, I know that was a long uh, no, great. question, but 
you know, all those are trying to just get those ideas and understanding out that this this change that we're trying to get and some people are trying to force uh, is very challenging to do. And, and we'll talk some more, I'm sure, about you know some of the challenges of that. Yeah, I think this is a great place to just take a second. And for the listeners of the podcast, if you're not familiar with Let's Clear the Air, this podcast is just a piece of the overall campaign that GPA is running. And if you go to letscleartheairnow.org, there is a uh, whole plethora of information, videos, articles, uh, easy to consume information if you're looking for a resource on what the industry is doing to create a better energy future. And, and so this podcast is just a piece. Uh, the videos are fantastic. They're all professionally produced. Um, it's really a, a well put together, well thought out uh, campaign. Um, yeah, it's actually a, an award-winning campaign. We actually got an award from a, an ad group uh, a couple of months ago. So uh, we're not not only a, a good campaign; it's an award-winning campaign. And it 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 shows the 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 quality of the website and and everything that you guys have done. So so let's talk a little bit maybe uh, about what Midstream is actually doing, right? And and give us some examples of what Midstream companies are doing to support. Uh, a cleaner and better energy future? Well, uh, you know, midstream uh, companies have been doing things, um, been working for a long time. We have a, a, a many decades history of removing carbon dioxide from um, natural gas and handling that in some cases, injecting it uh, to use for other sources, um, pipelining it around. So, Midstream companies operate thousands of miles of carbon dioxide pipelines. And one of the things that are being talked about in the future is more carbon sequestration. And so we're going to be, our companies have that technology, have that understanding how to do that. So, uh, and there's been a whole host of projects uh, announced over the last couple of years to, to work toward that. And I think that will only accelerate now that things are starting to clear up uh, with them. Inflation Reduction Act incentives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've done things to, you know, reduce emissions at our facilities. We've uh, replaced engines that are less efficient uh, that are, we run for compressors and pumps and things like that. Uh, we've replaced those with um, electric motors, and those are probably more energy efficient, or likely are very more energy efficient, and um, they save. Um, uh, emissions as well. So again, we we kind of know this. We're all driven to this uh, this business. Um, some of our larger companies are um, have formed, you know, focused technology teams to investigate hydrogen production, hydrogen transportation, um, using ammonia. Some companies are using are looking at using ammonia to transport uh, hydrogen. And in some of them are working on things that they're not talking about publicly yet. So, yeah. um, you know, they're also working on um, technologies to uh, reduce uh, their any leaks, uh, any of their emissions. And so they're trying those kind of things out, too, just to see what works, what works in different circumstances. So I think we've got a long history of working to make our industry more efficient, our industry more uh, cleaner, 
you know, anything we lose, we don't get paid for. So we have a clean, we have a real clear incentive to reduce emissions, to reduce uh, leakage. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that gets up in the midstream industry every day and says, let's go uh, lose a bunch of our products that we handle. So I think that's a, that's a cultural thing that I think it would be, you could, no matter what company you ask, what operator you ask, they're going to be focused on doing that. And, and you know, that all ties to the, the culture that our companies have around safety and not only for our employees, but for the communities that we work in. Sure. Hey, Joel, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. This podcast is brought to you by Let's Clear the Air, a public education campaign of GPA Midstream Association and GPSA Midstream Suppliers. The midstream industry helps power the lives of 330 million Americans by working around the clock to provide reliable energy, counteract climate change, and strengthen our country's economy. Let's Clear the Air is about promoting a constructive dialogue on the future of energy. Learn more and join the conversation at letscleartheairnow.org. Now, back to Andrew and Adam. It's great to point out all the good things that we're doing. You know, there are things that just go unsaid, right? Um, you know, that that really make a difference to the everyday person and they just don't know about it. But still, there seems to be this, you know, the push towards 100% renewables or 100% electric or whatever, you know, people want to go to. Um, so what's your perspective on how realistic, you know, some of those goals that people are setting are? You know, if you're talking about, you know, the, the push to go 100% renewable um, for our energy sources, um, you know, I, the, the thing that we have the hardest time explaining, is, and as we started this campaign uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, we, I know we went public with it uh, in uh, May of uh, 2021, 22, actually, yes, um, 22, but um as we started that in the, in the fall, as we started working um, to come up with the, the plan for Let's Clear the Air, um, the thing that's really the hardest thing to, to grasp for most folks is the scale and the complexity of energy, whether it's here in the U.S. or around the world. Um, the scale of the U.S. energy market is immense. I mean... Mm -hmm. Um, it, energy touches everything that virtually everything we do. I mean, things that we have on our homes, things that food that we consume. It's not just energy to keep our homes air conditioned in a Texas summer or uh, warm in a Colorado where Andrew is uh, winter, but it, energy touches everything. Um, and so it's pervasive. We, you know, as we've talked to folks, we've done some survey work, and everybody thinks of vehicles, uh, and that certainly uses a lot of energy. But energy touches us everywhere. Um, the plastics in our phone come from uh, natural gas liquids. Um, the computers that we're talking through here today, you know, use a lot of plastics and and that comes from uh, energy sources, and there's really no uh, no replacement for that. 
uh, no easy replacement for that. So it's scale, it's the complexity, how it touches everything. I mean, the U.S. energy market, I mean, we have 140 million housing units. We have 280 million passenger vehicles. Just the scale of that. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks about what does it mean for them. And so, yeah, I can I can buckle up, you know, do a little tighter. and, and this, But when you look at the scale of that and then you want to change it, uh, the infrastructure, the, that infrastructure to do this has been around for, in some cases, decades. Yeah. And so you want to go, okay, there's a crisis and so we need to replace it. But that, that comes at an enormous cost to do that. Um, we can't just throw that away without having a, you know, reliable, dependable source to replace it. And again, some cases we don't even have a substitute for it. So plastics, all the plastics that we have, fertilizer. Fertilizer is produced from natural gas. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be able to feed the world that we do today. So it is really complex to go, okay, let's just change this because it's, and I, and I kind of feel like in a lot of cases, it's, um, you know, it gets divorced. There's a handful of people that, you know, kind of live at the, the upper edge telling everyone how we should do. And it's like, no, you need to think about the entire economy. You need to yeah. think about the impact across everyone. And not only here in the U.S., but around the world. I mean, the, I think you, if I remember hearing your discussion, you guys' discussion with Scott Tinker, he was very eloquent on how many people around the world, like 3 billion people, use less energy annually than our refrigerators do here in the U.S. Right. So, well, thanks for the plug there, too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's another, it's a, that's a really good uh, podcast for anyone who wants to listen into that one. So, you know, so what does 100% renewables mean? Is that just electricity? Uh, you know, electricity is really just, you know, 30% of the energy in the U.S. So you can't just look at it as electricity. It's, you know, you can't go 100% renewables right now on uh, airplanes and uh, can't do it for power plants yet. And so there's just, um, it, it's a it's a huge challenge. And again, the devil's in the details, the devil's in the scale. Between that. And what may work from a, a solution because of the size of the U.S. and of course around the world, there's not a single solution that works. There are parts of the country that work well uh, on energy production and electricity because they have hydropower. But here in Texas, we don't have any of that. Okay. Uh, so, you know, th- there are other, and then the northern latitudes in the U.S., uh, they would struggle in the wintertime to have enough solar energy to be reliable because, you know, I've been to North Dakota in the wintertime, and you're lucky if you get four or five hours a day of sunlight. Mm-hmm. And that, it's weak. And so you just have to look. It's there's no one size fits all. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, issues that have to be resolved. And so that's and, and of course around the world it's even more complex. So right. to me, when we go 100% renewables, like what does that really mean? Um, what are you talking about? Is it just for electricity? Or are you talking about everything? 
And if you're talking about everything, then we're a long, long way from going to 100%. But I think it's it's an interesting point that you bring up because I think a lot of people don't recognize that electricity is a secondary energy source, right? You have to yeah. make electricity, whether it's from natural gas, coal, hydro, wind, solar, nuclear. nuclear. I mean, you have to make it. It's not something that, we, you know, it's not a natural resource though. And uh when you look at the projections from, uh, you know, EIA projections for where we get our energy from in 2050 and hydrocarbons aren't going anywhere on those projections. Right. And so the term energy addition, I think is one that I've also heard in the last six to 12 months gain quite a bit of steam because ultimately we will add more energy to accommodate growing societies, but Natural gas, in particular, will continue to be a very relevant, um, a, a very relevant part of the mix. And, and Joel, you and I have talked a little bit about the COP twenty eight meetings this year, which I think are an interesting opportunity for industry and you know clean energy to come together and find a way to get on the same page. Um, in your head or in your mind, um, how do renewables and and fossil fuels and, and hydrocarbon fuels work side by side and, and and how do they, you know, how do they start to learn how to coexist? Well, I, it would be a lot easier if we could just all have a, you know, an open dialogue and, and park the politics at the door, which is, you know, that, that's pretty idealistic. So it's probably not going to happen, but um, you know, it, I think it's kind of all of the above. I mean, they can work in, be complementary in a lot of ways um, because, you know, the sun does shine sometimes like it is right now outside my window. It's, it's, it's blazing hot. Uh, so, and the wind's blowing pretty good too. So that's a great source, but to know that those sources don't happen without a lot of expenditures and there's a lot of materials that are used in those that, one have to come out of the ground just like oil and natural gas does. So, you know, is mining much better than producing uh, oil and natural gas? Mm, you know, I, I would say it's a matter of what neighborhood you're in. Uh, if you're in the neighborhood of a strip mine, you're probably not a real big fan of that. So, you know, that's that's the thing. A lot of the advocates for wind and solar, and again, I'm not I'm not against them. From the standpoint, I think they have a place. They're part of the addition. I don't think we would be making our power um, demand needs here in Texas right now without the wind and solar that's been built here in the last decade. I think the so, NIMBY the NIMBY mentality is real, yeah. right? But, but to me, some of this is well. I'm just going to push it offshore where I don't see it. I'm going to go mine something in in Africa or South America and produce it in Asia and then bring it here and we'll all feel good about it. And it's like, no, that's not, that's it. You know, we need to be aware of our other neighbors, our, our, our co-inhabitants here of the, of the planet earth. And so, yeah, it's not that simple, but yes, they should be able to coexist. And, you know, to the extent that we can take advantage of a windy day, like it is today, our sunshiny day, and not consume uh, fossil fuels, that's great. But it's still, you know, again, the, the big key is 
reliability, you know, um, which is, again, one of those things that you guys talked about with Scott Tinker is reliability is a big deal. Uh, we found now that security is a big deal after mm. what happened in Europe. And so it's security. And then you, you also got to balance economics. You know, um, here in the U.S., um, I'd say the, the leading um, state for, uh, for climate action is California. They actually have, other than Hawaii, almost the most expensive electricity in the U.S. And they certainly have one of the highest prices of gasoline other than maybe Hawaii. And of course, they're an island in Hawaii. So yeah, they, and without a lot of resources. So they've got a lot of transportation there. But the, California is like, okay, they got more expensive. And so who pays the cost of that? The people who really can afford it the least. It's not the guys, it's not the legislature in Sacramento guys. Uh, it's not the um, tech guys in Silicon Valley that are paying that price, but it's the people that can afford it the least are paying the prices for that. I know that Adam has a question for you, but I, I just wanted to interject because, you know, the comment about reliability made me think uh, going when I, I first moved to Texas years ago and uh, I went to the Alamo and you saw how they lived at the Alamo. <laughs> they yeah. wear those heavy wool jackets and, uh, you know, just I don't know how people were able to tolerate that climate uh, all those years ago without air conditioning. Cause I know what it's going to be 104 in Houston tomorrow. I mean, I, I sure would not like want this. my air conditioner to go out tomorrow. So well, we, we are the air conditioning capital of the world. I mean, it's, it's one of the for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. For a reason. In it, fact, probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be the size of a city that we are without air conditioning. Oh, well, there's a reason I live in Denver. Because it's a, a beautiful seventy degrees and uh, dry and and just absolutely gorgeous right now. So, well, you guys, you guys should see uh, some of the solar panels in my neighborhood. So uh, we got hit with hail pretty bad. Yeah, and uh, I mean we're talking like orange and grapefruit size hail. You know, big hail chunks coming down. And I posted a few pictures on LinkedIn, and I mean it almost looks photoshopped, but you know, some panels are totally fine and other panels are just wrecked. It's, it's crazy how it kind of rolled through here, but you know, to your point, I think you can, I flew into Phoenix, I don't know, a month ago or so. And it just is crazy to me that every roof doesn't have a solar. It doesn't hail there. It's really sunny and hot all the time. Like it makes perfect sense to put it all there. Right. Whereas in Dallas, you know, or, you know, where I am, it's like, you can't put solar. It's going to be wiped out about once a year, probably. <laughs> so yep. I don't mind a little wind or whatever else we got to do to make it happen. Oil and gas is fine, but uh, yeah, it's, it's all in good place. Right. I, I, I recently learned during the hockey playoffs that the Kraken Seattle Kraken stadium is 100% renewable hydro energy. The entire that in order to build it, they had to do that. I think is part of the stipulation. And nowhere else in the country can they do that because right. it, you know, they're the only people with enough hydro to do it. But anyways, that was a pretty cool thing. So, well, let's pivot a second uh, back to the campaign a little bit um, since, you know, we are on let's clear the air. Um, part of the campaign uh, was to address misconceptions or whatever. And, um, you know, I think Andrew and I have talked a lot about that over the last few episodes, but, We've been going for 
I don't know, the campaign's been going for about a year now and the podcast is pretty new, but you know, what are your impressions of how it's going and what feedback are you getting and any other sort of industry people talking about it? I think, you know, it's, it's, as always, we're just trying to figure out what works, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, using all the tools that we have, whether it's social media tools to drive people to look at our website, to listen to the podcast. I think we're, we're, we're really still, you know, experiencing. I think we've had some good successes, but I'm not necessarily satisfied that we couldn't do more and do better. So we're always asking ourselves, what can we do better? How are we going to, how are we going to improve this? Not only, uh, you know, the next month, but, you know, for next year as we start another uh, round of campaign and ideas. And so I, I think it's gone well. I mean, I, I have no complaints. I've loved working with all the people in, engaged with this. Um, but, you know, we're always trying to go, how do you reach more people? How do you have a dog? How do we get more feedback? That's really the, the challenge from, mm-hmm. from people, both within our industry and outside our industry. Are we talking about the right things? Are we giving you the right kind of information? So that's always the challenge that we have is, how do we do better? But, you know, asking to answer your question, Adam, is I've been really pleased, but I always want to do more. Sure, so sure. that, that's kind of that's how I, I stand right now. It's been great. It's been a real challenge. I mean, we, we, we pour over the videos and the scripts and kind of, you know, almost word by word, making sure that they're saying the right thing, just like we do on, you know, as we answer misconceptions, as we put articles up for people to look at, uh, we're, we're always kind of going, okay, what's, are we trying to, are we being fair? Are we trying to answer these questions or address issues from as broad a perspective as we can? I don't want this to come off as just a, you know, a one-dimensional booster campaign because, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. So we all need to get better every day. And so that's kind of the message. We want to listen. We want to learn. We want to tell people what we're doing. And we want to hear from folks to say, what can we do better? So Joel, where, you know, where's the campaign going? What's on the radar or the roadmap for GPA and let's clear the air. What, what misconceptions are you guys going to be talking about? What videos are coming up? Give us, give us a glimpse into, uh, you know, yeah, down we, the road. We've got a couple of videos. We're always looking for misconceptions, you know, that, and we put a, we had a big bunch of them as we started, but we need more, you know, so we're always kind of looking for that. And then really just how do we drive people to what we're doing? And so we used, um, we, we did some advertising and some things like that on social media. Uh, we just wrapped that up at the end of May. We'll, we'll evaluate. We're kind of evaluating how that went. And then we'll run an, another um, set of that uh, late summer, you know, say August, August, September timeframe. And again, just trying to see, you know, asking questions. Did you know, did you think about this? Have you seen, have you seen this? Well, would you want to know more about it and try to drive it um, to some of our materials? And, and, you know, again, what you guys are doing, just trying to push ideas out there and make people think um, about how complex the energy change is 
and how big the energy industry is, how it impacts all of us. Just trying to get that concept across because it's doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to simple solutions. It's right. not just let's all go run on renewables. It's not that easy. And so we need to step back and have discussions both, you know, at a personal level and at a political level that we talk about this and kind of go, okay, these are big issues that have that take, you know, decades to play out. Let's be thoughtful about the choices we make. And, you know, we're kind of a, uh, we've evolved into a, you know, immediate response um, society. And we want to just, here's a problem, we want to fix it and then move on to something else. This one's not that easy. I mean, there's a lot of other things, obviously, that are not that easy either. But this is my world. This is our world that, you know, the three of us work in is, is energy. And it's such, it touches everything so much that we need to be right about it. And we shouldn't play politics and gotcha stuff with it because it really does impact the lifestyle and living quality of everybody here in this country. And then the things that we export here, and that's quite a bit of crude oil and and natural gas liquids and chemicals and uh, chemical products around the world. I mean, it's a really interconnected world from that standpoint on energy and energy products. And so um, it, we really do need to be thoughtful about it. And yet right now it's, it seems to be pretty challenging to do that because everybody's got an agenda they're trying to solve and push and not really going, okay, where's, let's, let's come up with the best answers, not just the best answers for a handful of people. And I really feel like we could talk about this stuff and continue down the path of the campaign and its future, you know, for hours. Um, but it looks like we're, we're running up a little bit on time. So let's, let's dig into uh, one of our final questions here. It's, it's three years from now. We're, we're still doing the show or we're, we're back here doing the show and you come on and you're, you're happy. Uh, things have gone all right. What has happened in the energy world to make you feel that way? Well, I hope that, you know, either through this campaign or the work that we're doing at GPA Midstream and GPSA, that, you know, we're, we've moved the ball forward a little bit to have some constructive dialogues. Um, you know, we, we just want to do our part. I think if you look at the industry as a whole, the people that work in this industry, we are, we're really focused on doing our jobs well, uh, helping the country do what it is. I mean, if, if the midstream industry shut down today, the lights would go out, everything would stop in minutes. I mean, we are a vital must run. We're kind of silent. We're kind of below ground most of the time. You don't see what we do. Maybe we should try that. Just get, get the point across, right? Like like a five five minute midstream strike or something. Yeah, I've, I've I've thought about that when somebody goes, well, we just don't need that. I go, oh really? You don't? Well, let's go shut the valve for a little bit and see how long it takes you to go. Uh, oh, I changed my mind. But you know, you can't do those kind of things. That's that's uh, that's dirty pool, and you know, we really don't want to do that. But I mean, uh, but yeah, just to have move the ball forward, have some constructive dialogue, and to understand that what we're trying to do is in the best interest of everyone, not just people that work in our our little niche industry, but 
what we do impacts everybody. So the dialogue that we have here in Let's Clear the Air is to just continue to make that better, to get more feedback and give more information and go and, and be willing to, to listen to new ideas. I mean, certainly I don't have the, the, uh, the corner of the market on good ideas, but we have a lot of really bright folks. We've got a lot of folks that are working to make it better. And I think that's true in other areas too. I mean, I don't think that you know, the, the people that absolutely oppose us, they have uh, hugely you know, negative thoughts about taking the country you know, into, into bad places. I think they passionately believe what they believe, but let's have a talk with them, understand each other. It's really hard to understand energy and how pervasive and how big it is. Let's have a discussion about that so that we can make the best decisions for this country for you know, the next three years and the next five years and the next 25 years ahead. So that's really kind of the goals that I have and just talk about it and be open about it. If, if, if we could just do that, right? I mean, have a conversation. You don't, you don't, even if you don't agree with them, right? Like uh, I saw a quote the other day. It, it's, it was something along the lines of, you know, free speech doesn't mean anything if you don't let people you don't like say things you don't agree with, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, like, sitting down and having a conversation with someone who you don't see eye to eye with, um, it, it's kind of what we need to be doing. I, yeah, I agree 110%. You know, it's, it's kind of the two ears to one mouth, you know, listen yeah. twice as much yeah. as you, you talk and have a have a good dialogue, but then be willing to listen and know that, you know, I, I will admit I don't have all the answers. Uh, let's it, all talk about and come up with it because we've got a lot of bright minds in the country. It's easy, though, to create your own world. You you listen to the people that you agree with. You don't want to listen to people you don't agree with. And you create this echo chamber uh, yeah echo chamber uh, an assumed reality that uh you know kind of is yeah it's it's not good so look uh with that joel uh thank you for your leadership at gpa i know uh i've enjoyed working with you through the years this campaign has been fantastic and your your vision and leadership on that has been top notch and ultimately has led to adam and i having this opportunity uh to to have a conversation with uh, people like yourself and some of the other great thinkers we've had on so far. So thank you for taking the time today and um, appreciate it. All right. Thank you guys. Uh, thanks for what you're doing too. Thanks for the time that you're spending on let's clear the air and, and uh, talking about issues. So uh, great talking with you guys and uh, we'll see you soon somewhere. Thanks Joel. That wraps up another episode of let's clear the air. We'd like to hear from you on guest suggestions, questions, or comments. You can connect with Andrew and I on LinkedIn, and um, we're all very accessible on there. Uh, Andrew, what were your thoughts on talking with Joel? I always like talking to Joel. Um, he mentioned it a few times, uh, just the sheer scale and complexity of, of energy, right? And it, it makes it really hard, I think, for for people to kind of wrap their head around and um people tend to oversimplify, you know, topics that are a lot more gray than they may appear. And um, I think that's, that's something that when you're having these conversations with someone you agree or maybe disagree with, that always keep that in mind. Um, 
So yeah. What about you, Adam? You know, I always appreciate, uh, I, I tend to speak loudly and boldly sometimes. And I always appreciate uh, Joel's tone um, and the way he comes across just very eloquent and talking about our industry and being an advocate of our industry and what the GPA midstream is trying to do. Um, Very similar to like when you talk to Dr. Tinker, you know, just a calming, you know, voice when you're kind of talking about a controversial subject. So uh, I always appreciate that. and, And it gives me good good ideas for moving forward so well with that guys thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on let's clear the air thank you for listening to the let's clear the air energy podcast with adam murray and dr andrew parker if you like what you have heard subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app you can email us with questions or comments to let's clear the air energy podcast at gmail.com